The damn don't cry when smoking causes coughing, and a dead reckoning's causing the Mission Impossible team to get elemental. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show. Uh, right, we've got four brand new movies to talk about today. We're going to look at Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning in just a moment, uh, and also Elemental. But first, let's take a look at The Damned Don't Cry. I've, I've taken a little look at the old synopsis mm-hmm. on this one. Kind of comes across to me as quite a moralistic, sensitive, emotional kind of movie. No, I'll be it in a nutshell, for being honest. There's, no, there's not going to be a clip for this one, because it's entirely in, I think it's French, because it's set in Morocco yeah. and, and Tangiers. Um, it's the new film from uh, Faisal Belifa, who directed uh, Lynn and Lucy, it was about four years ago, it was a, a British set, it was Essex set, uh, story of the relationship between two young women, Lynn and Lucy, clever, hence the clever title. Um what we've now got is something million miles removed from that. So gone, gone is the, the grimy aesthetic of Essex exchanged for the grimy aesthetic of Morocco and Tangier. Uh, this time we're following a mother and son combo. So you've got, uh, oh, what's her name now? It's uh, oh, Fatima Zera. So Fatima Zera is the mum. The son is Salim. He's a teenager. She's sort of middle-aged. The idea is that she, uh, you know, left her family home to go and, you know, go study and become an academic um hooked up with the as we're told hooked up with the first drunk that came along and had an unwanted pregnancy though she claims she was raped and her son was the result of that attack the son doesn't know this and when we enter into the film they you know mother and son are literally sharing a mattress in a dingy one-room flat making ends meet however possible she is robbed for all of her gold and basically uh, and, and he, this is how we discover that he is used to a life of them simply moving around nomadically they go back to uh, her family homestead expecting you know just to be put up you know, in, in, in for free accommodation kind of a thing. However, there's a family wedding going on that they've not counted on, and their arrival causes an argument, during which this truth about Salim's parentage comes out. And this is how he discovers that, you know, the story he'd been fed of his father all those years, not in fact a reality. And this causes a rift between he and his mother as they journey uh, over, to Tan- over to Tangiers, where... Her, um, her sort of secretive life of basically making ends meet through sex work also happens to overlap with him finding his way into a secretive life via sex work. And what you get is the story of the agitation and, subs- and sort of simultaneous bonding that occurs between mother and son as their differences also become their similarities and never the twain shall meet. So it's... It's a very harrowing drama at times, but again, it's kind of a kitchen sinky type uh, affair. You know what I mean? Like this is this is not one anyone's watching for for, for any kind of cheerfulness or, or yeah. optimism. This is very much about the grimy elements of the human condition. I will say the performances in there uh, between um, Aicha Tabay and Abdullah Al Huji. I think Al. Al Hajuji, I think his name is, who plays uh, Sa- uh, Salim. Salim, Salim, I think his name is. Um, I think the, uh, the the relationship there and the performances between the two actors absolutely tremendous. Now, as far as the actual aesthetic of this goes, yeah, I was brought into this. This really worked for me. I I, I don't think this is going to be a crowd pleaser by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it's as good a movie as Lynn and Lucy. 
but I think because there is a, there is a distance, obviously, because I think you know we obviously can't relate to a drama set, you know, in in relative poverty in Morocco and Tangiers quite the same way that we would relate to a story set and any kind of story set in Essex, for instance, because it's not our world. So we're going to inherently find more relatability in that first one than than the more recent one. Um, but I, I really like this. I, I said I did really go in for this, and the story of 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 Salim sort of just finding his way almost organically, just naturally stumbling his way into this grimy subscene of sex work. You know, as he's more or less duped into it, is quite effectively done and his performance really sells it i say he really doesn't know what it is he's he's gotten into he's he's very naive about it but the writing is is is, is really tight the writing really holds this down and i think the performance from aisha was it aisha aisha tebe um as uh, as uh, fatima zara I think the the writing there walks a very very fine line between making her an unapproachable character, but also sympathetic at the same time. And the performance, gangbusters! It's it's a very much a marriage between that that very tightly balanced writing and a very very honed performance. Because say it's it's a very stately Arab mother kind of a performance like it's it's played in a very specific way I mean, anyone, anyone who spent any time in the middle east will be able to uh, to to see some you know some some parables with someone they've met at some stage in in this kind of a performance like it is very much an arabian mother performance that 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 distance but at the same time the affection and i thought Genuinely, a pair of really, really great turns. Uh, like I say, um, uh, Faisal Belifa clearly is someone to watch. There's clearly a talent there. I think this is a step down, as I say, from Lynn and Lucy. But at the same time, not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination, just not necessarily a Saturday night at the multiplex crowd pleaser. So this is called uh, The Damn Don't Cry, which seems like a way more overwrought title than this film really should come with. Like, yeah. the damn don't cry. You know, it makes me think, what was the, it, was, it made, made me think of the dead don't die. The Jim Jarmusch zombie movie with Adam Driver from about four years ago, four or five years ago. It does ago. sound more like a horror, to be fair. No, it's like the damn don't cry. You expect it to be a movie about, like, a priest doing exorcisms or something. But, <laughs> yes, uh, exactly yeah. that. So it's exactly. called the damn just, don't cry. Yeah. Just want to double check, this, this wasn't based in any way on a true story, was it? No, no, no. This is so. This is this is very much a uh, just just a straight dramatic character piece. Not not necessarily based. I'm sure, I'm sure this has parables to someone's you know true story somewhere. But no, as far as I'm aware, this is a completely original construct. And what about the cinematography for this? Because uh, I mean, Morocco, there, there's mm. a potential there to have some really lovely moving shots and drone footage and all that kind of stuff. Was, did they use no, that? no, very different spectrum to that kind of thing. So what we're talking about here is very much a, I would say, like is a street level, you know, kind of a drama. Like we're talking right. about the back, the back streets, the the, the dingy one room apartments kind of thing. This is very much the slums. Slumped on millionaire. <laughs> I mean, no millionaires in this story, I can tell you. But... 
Okay. Well, I mean, it, it, it sounds like, like you say, it's not a blockbuster, but it's something mm. that if you want to get your teeth into something serious and gritty, yeah. then this is something to, uh, to, to watch. The I think it's counter-programming. Cry. Yeah, it's counter-programming this week. I think very, very much something. It's not the counter-programming I would go for this week if you're seeking to avoid a blockbuster. But you know what? It is there, and you, you, you'll see a lot, you can see a lot worse, to be fair. Well, if you want to go and see it, The Damn Don't Cry is in cinemas from today. We are going to talk about the brand new Mission Impossible movie, Dead Reckoning Part 1, in just a minute. We'll see what Van thinks. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show. We have got another brand new movie to talk about now. Uh, Van only saw it this week. I am so excited to find out what he thought about it. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. It is out on Monday, mm-hmm. but you've already seen it now. I don't no. I don't want to ask the, the wrong question with this kind of thing because it's a big film. So yep. off you go. Oh, off we go. Okay, so it's the seventh Mission Impossible movie, but it's part one of two. So we have Dead Reckoning Part 1, and the movie literally ends with with the line, End Part 1. And the setup, we know what the next one is going to be. So it's kind of like Into the Spider-Verse that way. Uh, Dead Reckoning Part 2 will follow next June. As far as I understand, that's mostly filmed, and they've got like just a a final few few weeks to a month, I think, to to wrap up on that. Um, This was filmed during covid this was one of the the forerunners of production during covid because obviously there was a famous tabloid friendly incident whereby tom cruise was you know literally recorded having a meltdown um at staff in venice for being seen to take their masks off and as he said at the time the entire industry is looking to us to set an example to prove that this can work and you know what? He got proven right in less time than it took for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 to even reach cinemas because what's the film that made the most money when we all came back from COVID? It was Top Gun Maverick, wasn't it? So, yep. you know, you've got to give it to Cruz. The man knows his craft. He really does. So, he is back as super spy Ethan Hunt, leader of the, you know, the elite, so I think they're like the flagship team of the IMF, the Impossible Missions Force, the James Bond-esque super spy team who are brought in when there's nobody else that can get the job done and they use all the tech and all the gadgetry and all the trickery at their disposal. If you've not seen any of them at this point, you are missing out on what is effectively at this stage a better Bond series. And of course, you know, it's most remembered, I think, nowadays for as well as Tom Cruise's uh, very elaborate and, you know, self-performed death-defying stunts, the rubber masks that have become the staple of this franchise. The idea that everyone just, you know, reveals that they are, in fact, someone else underneath. This is kind of the big popularization of that. So, for our seventh one, I have to be very careful with spoilers, but to be fair, it's not really much of a, a twisty-turny film in that regard. Once the concept is, is pretty easy to boil down. So, Ethan Hunt is called back into action when an artificial intelligence, an AI, goes rogue on a Soviet submarine, starts invading all of the world's intelligence network and absorbing all of the secrets it can and setting itself up as the next and most defining global threat to ever have existed. It has agents at its disposal that it 
it aids through you know global global security through satellites through CCTV things like that. It can literally make you vanish on live CCTV by simply removing you from the shot. Wow. So they can't trust the technology. It can come over the phone and impersonate your voice because it's an algorithm. And so in order to actually defeat this AI, Ethan and the IMF team are forced to track down two halves of a of a split key. They don't they they themselves don't seem to realize what the key can open or what it unlocks, but all they know is that to defeat this AI they need to track down the two halves of this interlocking golden key. And pivotal to their pursuit of this key is a pickpocket and a thief slash con artist grifter type played by Haley Atwell, who Tom Cruise sort of drags along for the ride, having encountered her in the Abu Dhabi International Airport. And, and they wind up going on this glo- the usual IMF, Mission Impossible, globetrotting adventure that takes us to, to places like, say, like Abu Dhabi, to Venice, all the way to the Orient Express. Through the, through the Swiss Alps, complete with all of the death-defying stunts, all of the menacing villains, and all of the over-the-top elaborate fight scenes, action scenes, and set pieces you could possibly imagine. Now, there's not really any sort of usable dialogue-driven clips for this, so have a listen to this snippet from the trailer, which culminates in the very heavily marketed set piece you know, that's kind of front and center for this movie, which is Tom Cruise driving a motorcycle off a cliff and then parachuting <laughs> off the back of it. Have a listen. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. Listen to me. The world's coming after you. His fate is written. Shall we write yours too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written. Before you introed that clip, you might have seen mm. me laugh as you introed it, because no. just before you introed it, my next question was going to be, is there a moment when Ethan Hunt is riding a motorbike? Because there always is. And then you oh, went straight into that. <laughs> yeah, several. I mean, Ethan Hunt loves the motorbike. I mean, he didn't seem to in the first one, because everything we seem to know about the Mission Impossible series does seem to come out of the sec- from the second one onwards. Like, they, the first one wasn't an action movie. It did have that great third act where they were on the train, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But you wouldn't have described that first movie as an action movie at all. It was more of a, you know, an espionage thriller. And they yeah. became action thrillers with the with the second one, with the John Woo one, even though the second one now seems to be quite lambasted. Go on. I think that the first one was probably mm. based more on the series. Do you remember the series back in yeah. Mission Impossible? Yeah, yeah that's mm. probably why, I think, because it was very similar to that, whereas from two onwards, like you say, yeah. it's just action, action, action. 
Well, the first one very much serves as an origin story for the Mission Impossible, for, for Ethan Hunt and yeah. for well, for Ethan Hunt and Luther to an extent, Bing Rames's character and how they sort of came into it. Now, this movie does harken back a lot to the first one. There is a lot of homaging to the very, very first Mission Impossible. Um, the return of Henry Chazerny as Kittredge, uh, who you might remember is the the guy in the in the first movie who he uh, he throws the the explosive sticker onto the fish tank and runs away from him in the restaurant like that great sequence. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's another sequence. Uh, the third act again takes place on a train like the first one, and you have a sequ- a moment in it in which Kittredge is sat opposite the White Widow or Vanessa Kirby's character, and you're thinking this is so funny because in the very first movie he was sat on a train in the third act opposite Vanessa Redgrave who was her mom. So that's kind of yeah we're really really going full circle I'm, and it, yeah it kind of goes the same way um i really love this this is top tier action filmmaking it's absolute finest it is a solid five star film um i will say this hats off to tom cruise absolutely hats off to the man or masks off to the man because in the same way that top gun maverick was this very heavy-handed met but but a very well done meta text that effectively was about Tom Cruise the movie star in an era of interchangeable Chris's and superheroes. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, I'm not sure if this is going to extend to Part 2 as well, but definitely Part 1, has this meta text that seems to be about Tom Cruise versus Netflix. It seems to be about Tom Cruise versus AI. Tom Cruise standing up for the good name of cinema and filmmakers and writers versus AI and ChatGPT and the algorithm. We have many, many conversations about you're going to have to face off against the algorithm. And I'm just chuckling to myself in the audience. This is literally Tom Cruise taking on Netflix. This is brilliant. Now, the, the stunts are incredible. Of course they are. The cast Top tier A game stops. Great to see Henry Shazerny back as well as Kittredge because he was one of the most memorable characters from this whole series. All the homaging. There's a bit on a, a bridge in Venice, for instance, that makes that takes you back to Prague in the very first movie and uh, the fate of Christine Scott Thomas, for instance. Brilliant stuff. New players like Pom Clementive, Shea Wiggum, all great. But standout star of this movie, Healy Atwell. Hayley Atwell shows up to play in this, and you have not seen a breakout next-level calling card performance in an a, in a triple A-tier blockbuster on this level in years. This is something you this this takes you back, and this takes you back to things like remember when you saw Cameron Diaz in The Mask in the 1990s? Yeah, and you were like, and you were like, she's a star. She's a movie star. She's going to be huge. It's worth noting, incidentally, that Cameron Diaz, in her movie with Tom Cruise, was not even half as good as Hayley Atwell is in her one with Tom Cruise. And they get to do the same thing where they're driving through the streets of a European country as well, being chased. Shea Wiggum, incidentally, gets a moment in this movie, like within the first sort of 10 minutes, that finally gives us something almost as good as Alec Baldwin's delivery in Rogue Nation of the line, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. This time around, I think it's something along the lines of, so he's a shape-shifting, mutating, chameleonic agent of chaos. And you're thinking, yes, this is this is what I'm here for. It's a funny movie. It's a very, very intense movie. Like, once you get past the basic concept, you don't know where this is going. The final 10 minutes of this are, put that anti-nail-biting stuff on before you go and see it. Because I, I was nibbling to the bone in this. The final 10 minutes of this are absolutely armchair gripping, 
bone rattle, bone rattling, nail biting stuff. This is absolute action filmmaking at its top tier finest. This is effortlessly going to walk away as you know as being on everyone's top ten of the year list, if not at the front of the queue. I thought this was absolutely superb. It looks amazing. Uh, it, it's sharply written. The performances are both. Decided to say that they they do the intensity, but they do the humor quite quite well. Uh, Tom Cruise has never, you know, he's back on that that same movie star form that he always shows up on. Like, say what you will about Tom Cruise the man. Tom Cruise the movie star has no equal. There is a reason he is the last movie star, and. If you need convincing on that, go and see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which, if this isn't the best action, if this isn't the best movie of the summer of 2023, it's going to have been an incredible year, because I, an incredible summer, because I can't imagine two movies this good this summer. And I say that as someone, I, I've, I've watched Fast X like a dozen times. I think Fast X is one of the best movies. It doesn't even come close to this. Not even wow. close. I mean, that's what I wanted to hear with something like Mission mm. Impossible, absolutely. And, and just a quick one, knowing that this is part one and there's a part two coming next year, yeah. can you see where the narrative's going to go or is it left at a point where you have no idea what can happen? We are given, because it, it's not like a straight cliffhanger. It, it's very much a, a two-stage mission. And mission one is complete. Mission two needs to be done. We are told what mission two is, and it's going to be interesting, kind of how that we we know the bare bones of where it's of where it's going to go, kind of a thing. It's worth. I mean, the the, the only black mark I can put. It's, sorry, it's a less annoying cliffhanger than it's a less annoying part one resolution than into the Spider Verse, for instance. Yeah, um, yeah. But the only black mark I could possibly put against Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One is. Needs a Limp Biscuit song as its theme song. That's what it needs. Oh, only, yeah. only thing it's lacking. Only thing. I mean, it's a five-star movie anyway. You might actually break the fifth, the fifth tier, and give it an extra half star if they could crowbar in a new metal theme song. Get live. Get get Durst and the boys back together. Give us, give us. I don't know, an updated take a look around or something like. They gotta do it for the finale. Just give us another heavy-handed, awesome as hell theme song like Take a Look Around because it's something this series. Did very very well back with MI2 and uh, they used uh, Imagine Dragons Friction quite well for Fallout um, I, by the way uh, I didn't really get to talk about uh, Isai Morales as the villain in this uh, who's uh, kind of the anti-Ethan because this ties being you know like a, a counterpoint to part one does tie into Ethan's backstory a fair bit we get a lot with him and the villain which gives this a personal component that I don't think any of the Mission Impossible movies have had and that is interesting to me. Mission Impossible has never lacked for great villains. They've always had great villains. Mm. But making this as personal as it is, that's really something extra. I think this is a bloody brilliant movie, and I cannot wait to see it again. Do see it on the biggest, loudest screen you can as well. Absolutely. I can't wait to see it now, especially after what you've just said. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1 is out in cinemas from Monday if you want to see it. Right. Stay there. We're if you be choose looking... to accept. <laughs> if you choose to accept. It was it almost left my mouth. Almost. I, Should you I choose to accept it? <laughs> didn't go there. I didn't go there. Should have done. But uh, we're going to look at Pixar's latest film, Elemental, in just a minute. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back. Right then, two more movies to talk about. Um, another one called Smoking Causes Coughing, which is out in cinemas from today in a moment. But let's start 
with the new offering from Pixar, which is Elemental. Um, I've seen the trailer. I've got to say, Van, it looks very colourful. <laughs> it's very, very colourful. I mean, it might be one of the best-looking movies out this year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah I, I mean, it might be the best-looking movie that we've seen in multiplexes since Avatar last Christmas. Like, quite clearly. I mean, I was, I was literally I'd blown away by one shot in this. So, new movie from Pixar. I think I read somewhere this is the 27th movie made by Pixar now. Wow. Cast your mind back. I mean, they release roughly one a year, I think. And it's, you know, when, when the first Toy Story was 1995. So, God, you've made me feel really old saying that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pick, Toy Story is going to be 30 years old in another two years. So, we're going to celebrate God. our 30th anniversary of Toy Story. I think by that point, they'll have the fifth one out probably as well. Uh, but yeah, 27th uh, Pixar movie. Uh, this one is uh, written directed by Peter Sone, I believe, who worked on The Good Dinosaur, which was not one of their better received ones. Although it was perfectly fine. It was a very li- lovable little movie, actually. I quite liked The Good Dinosaur. Didn't have high expectations for it, but, you know, fair. So this is, if it's closest to anything, think Zootopia or Zootropolis, depending on... Did you ever see Zootopia, Zootropolis? No, no, I haven't seen those. Right. I mean, outside of this movie, genuinely, get that on next time you've got Albert... And he will love it because it's it's the same kind of setup as this where you've got it, it's a city populated by effectively just people going about their daily lives and business. Only in the case of that, they are animals. And in the case of this, they are elements. So right. you have four races of people in this. You have four races of people. You have fire people. You have water people. You have earth people who basically look like trees. And you have air people who are like clouds. So you've got like man-shaped clouds wearing like human clothes. And and they have all of the the trials and tribulations that you would you would associate with you know their prospective elements. So for instance, you know, uh, uh, water get, gets extinct get, uh, can extinguish fire people. Fire people can die, for instance, if they you know touch the water people. And so what you get from that is this story of first of all, it's, it's the story of Amber, who's our who's our flame lead, our fiery lead, right? She uh, works for her father's, uh, it's like a, a, a shop slash cafe in which she serves like burnt coal, hot coals they serve. And uh, we are shown like up style. We are shown the story of how her parents came to the elemental city as effectively it's like the story of American immigration. They, you know, they arrive on the boats, they, you know, they, they get their passport stamped, they get their, you know, regional name. They get their local name, sorry, westernized name. They set up a business, build a home for themselves. Amber is born. And then, you know, like two minutes into the movie, we are introduced to a now like, you know, college age Amber. And the idea is she's being groomed to take over the family business. They are presented in such a way as to basically be characterized as an East Asian family. So I, I think maybe Chinese Mandarin kind of a family. Uh, the, the family right. values are sort of in, in that sort of realm. Um, she crosses paths with a city inspector who happens to be a water person. And through uh, a, a sort of misunderstanding and him being a bit too devoted to his job and her having rage issues where she seems to she gets stressed out and literally detonates and burns everything around her, including like wa- evaporating water people and like, in, you know, igniting all the tree people around her, for instance. Um, she finds herself in a position where 
her father's business faces actual closure. It's going to be condemned and shut down due to like faulty pipes and faulty management and faulty infrastructure. Unless she can team up with said city inspector, the water guy, to solve the mystery of how how this mysterious uh, torrent of water is, is being pumped into the city. This water that has found its way into her family's business, how that's leading into the city. I've got a clip for you. It's kind of like a, a, a mismatched buddy duo type thing, like Zootopia was only not quite as as dark and sinister. Uh, I've got a clip for you. This is the pair of them at the uh, city inspector's office. And I should point out that this city inspector is an earth-slash-tree person. So when you hear her detonate, try and imagine the actual physical aftermath of that. Tell him what you told me about your dad and letting him down. No, that's personal. It really got to me. He might feel it too. Her dad will be super... So, no! Super disappointed in her! Stop it! He might even be ashamed! What are you doing? But the main thing is, if her father can't retire, it will be all embers! Stop talking! Looks like I'm going home early today. I love the sound of this, I've got to be honest. Mm. Uh, it sounds brilliant, I love the concept. Yeah. Um, Please tell me they used a song for the soundtrack from Earth, Wind and Fire. <laughs> they did not, strangely. Oh. They, have, they have got, however, an excellent soundtrack. It was a really beautiful theme song in particular that I, uh, I, I really enjoyed. Um, it's a very moving film. Uh, at once, now it starts, it, it's equal parts a mediation on the American immigrant experience, but at the same time, is quite an insightful uh, depiction of interracial relationships through the prism of anthropomorphized elements, Pixar style. You know, in, in the same way that Zootopia, for instance, was about uh, discrimination, was about race and xenophobia and preconceptions and racial profiling, this does the same kind of things with... You know, I mean, we're told at one point elements don't mix. I mean, read into that what you will. This is not yeah. exactly it's not exactly subtle in terms of its meta text. Uh, really, really beautiful stuff. It was Ember, by the way, not Amber. Hence the the clever the fire name Ember. But uh, yeah, I thought this was an absolutely beautiful film. It's the you know one of the only times I've ever seen Zara Phelan cry at a movie was wow. uh, was in this, and it's yeah, not she, even real. I don't know. We, we were sat there. We, we saw this on Father's Day, she and I. We were sat there Sunday morning on Father's Day watching this. And uh, she was just sobbing her eyes. And I was quite moved by it. I, I, I was a really moving film, but it didn't break me quite that way. But uh, yeah, I turned around at one point. She found Zara absolutely sobbing. Like, Do you know what? Fair play. Because you can't judge anyone for crying at a Pixar movie. It's one of those things. Everyone cries at a Pixar movie. Um, there was also a short beforehand that serves as a sequel to Up which makes me uh, very, very Ooh, happy. Was, I loved uh, up. Yeah, well, you get a short before this called Carl's First Date that takes place after the events of Up. And uh, I, I, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And uh, there's a moment in it that just, just moved me to absolute tears. But I, I cried more at the Up short than I did uh, did Elemental. But as I say, Elemental is just an absolutely stunning film. It's not gone down well at the box office in the US. I think its reviews have been fine, but I think it's not made quite the money, but nothing is really at the moment. The box office is still kind of healing post-COVID. And I don't think that's a reflection of the film at all. I think this film is absolutely wonderful. Uh, The performances are great. The animation is stunning. And there's some visuals. Like I said, there's just a sequence of Ember 
walking toward walking towards camera down a street uh, under a subway bridge and the subways are built on waterways so as the subway goes past you get the water spilling over the sides of uh, of the the overhead subway track and it's just the most gorgeous imagery absolutely stunning stuff um say so might genuinely be the most visually striking thing since avatar the way of water so it seems to be just a thing for water uh this year if you like zootopia absolutely see this uh, if you like pixar in general absolutely see this but in terms of you know the story it's telling it's one of the best mediations on interracial relationships that I've seen in a film in a very, very long time. I don't think I've seen it depicted or done this well. And bear in mind, it wasn't the central thesis of it uh, since the the Big Sick, and and that was hardly that wasn't exactly the main point of the Big Sick. But the Big Sick did depict that quite well. Uh, this is, I think, kind of the gold standard of how to do this. I think it's an absolutely beautiful film. I can't wait to see it again. Uh, I don't I say it's not like top five Pixar, but it's it, it's solid A-game Pixar, at the very, very least. Well, if you want to go and see it yourself, I mean, you've sold it to me, I mean, and I've seen the trailer. It does it does just look, like you say, absolutely beautiful. In fact, I saw a documentary on Pixar a couple of mm. years ago, and it might have changed slightly now, but it's probably still in the same ball, ballpark. Apparently, mm. it takes about a week to render 10 seconds of a yeah. Pixar movie. Have you ever used a MacBook to render the footage that we you know, make for this show? Yeah, it ta- <laughs> that, takes, that takes about a week to render 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah that, good point, good point. Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, I mean, that did floor me when I, because you, then you think, hang on, a film, yeah. the average film is 90 minutes. And it's, the, you know, this is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's next level. I mean, you, you can see, you can go back through every Pixar movie in sequence and watch the technology evolve. Yeah. And the constituent elements in this, when you see the water effects, when you see how fire interacts, for instance, like that, because as far as I think they had to come up with new algorithms to actually make the fire behave the way it does in this movie. And it's, it's just, it's like nothing else. It is gorgeous like absolutely you've got to see sure you've got to watch uh zootopia slash zootropolis whatever we're calling it with uh, with albert anyway because you'll absolutely love it it works for young kids as well as old it's basically pixar's who framed roger rabbit but yeah without the live action element it's absolutely brilliant this is very much in the vein of zootopia i think he'd love this just as much as well by the sounds of it but if you yeah. want to go and see it it is in cinemas from today right final movie coming up smoking causes coughing and we'll see what Van thought of that one next. Stay there. Hello and welcome back. Time for One Last Ride. Um, now, throughout the recording of uh, this show today, between each section, Van keeps saying, I cannot wait to tell you about Smoking Causes Coughing. So <laughs> let's hear all about it. It's in cinemas from today. I, I'm completely in the blank for this. I don't know what it's about. I've not seen a trailer or anything. Right, so it's the new movie from my favourite French filmmaker, and I didn't know he'd done this. So, uh, Quentin Dupio, I think Dupio, I think his name is, uh, did a film a couple of years ago called uh, Mandible, or Mandibles, as it was translated into English, which is about two two guys who uh, befriend a giant human-sized cockroach. And, uh, yeah, it was absolutely mental. And uh, he's now back with this movie called Smoking Causes Coughing, which is a French black comedy about a team of Power Rangers-like heroes. 
Okay, so spandex suits, you know, uh, plastic helmets like the Power Rangers, uh, who are you know, they fight their villains that who are literally men in rubber suits like the Power Rangers did. Only when they unite their powers, they don't form a Megazoid. No, they fo- they combine their powers rather like Captain Planet's Planeteers do. Only instead of deriving their powers from dinosaurs. Their team is named the Tobacco Force, and they derive their powers from the chemical elements of cigarettes. And when they combine said powers, they detonate their villains by infecting them with terminal cancer until they explode in a shower of gore. Whoa, that accelerated quickly. That, 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 yeah, that, that jumped off quite quick, didn't it? That escalated quickly. Uh, so... They introduced them literally doing this to a man turtle on a on a French beach in a French quarry. Sorry, and uh, they are then interrupted by their Zordon, who's a giant drooling rat on a screen who they just call Chief or the Boss, who sends them on a team building retreat so that they can bolster their powers because one of them's having performance issues. They can bolster their powers and uh, face off against the the bad guy that they know is coming. This bad guy's on his way. He's going to be here in a few weeks. Just go and go and regroup, get your powers in check, and you'll be ready for him when he arrives. So they go off on their little retreat, and the movie basically just follows them, hanging out on this team-building retreat, swapping scary stories, which effectively take the form of Black Mirror-style vignettes, each with a darkly comedic bent. And starring a sort of bevy of who's who of little cameos from other Quentin DiPio movies, including, much to my absolute celebration and joy, the most beautiful woman who has ever walked this earth, my favourite French actress, Adele Exocopolis. One half of the duo from Blue is the warmest colour. No, no joke, it's like they made her in a computer. She is just a smoke show. But uh, yeah, she does get a cameo in this. This is absolutely hilarious it is depraved it is disturbing if you do not have a strong stomach do not in any way shape or form even consider watching this because like i say they detonate people using cancer powers you know what i mean there's there's a prolonged gag about a guy being fed into a wood chipper whilst conscious and talking there's it, it's nuts it's absolutely there's a talk there's a talking fish you know what i mean there's all sorts in this it's absolutely it's only 80 it's 82 minutes long as well it's 82 it is oh it's an hour 70 so it's 77 minutes long so it's not even a particularly long film but it's absolutely bonkers i sat much because you 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 got a message from me as i was watching it if you remember Oh, yes, I guess you did. (laughs) Do you remember I WhatsApped you? I'm like, you're not actually going to believe what it is that I'm watching right now. Think Power Rangers, but they give you cancer. And, yeah, it's absolutely insane. You describing it, it just sounds like a delirious dream you would have if you had a temperature. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. This is this is like a fever dream. It is a fever dream of a French superhero comedy. <laughs> describe it. Wow, wow, oh, really well done. I really loved it. It's one of those films that I'm just going to be showing people forever. Or it's I'm, it, it's that one that you just randomly bring up at cocktail parties, kind of thing. It's like, what's the what, you know? Give, give, recommend us a film. What what wouldn't I have seen? Well, give me something like or when you meet that smart ass. Because this is the thing when you're a film critic, you always meet that smart ass at cocktail parties. It's like, oh, you're a film critic, are you? And they become like it's their, it's their unspoken mission to make you look like an ass. Oh, they know more than you, kind of a thing. Like, or you meet one. They're always dips. 
for lack of a better term. I said DIP dips, by the way. Not what I wanted to say, but that's what I said. You, you meet them. There's always one of these at every, uh, every cocktail party you attend, a dinner party. And uh, yeah, this is the one I would recommend every time now. I think it's absolutely... I always go with the raid, incidentally, is my, uh, my one, because these smart asses have never seen the raid. But uh, yeah. That, I was going to say... That's the kind of person that would ask you what your number one film is. You'd tell them, and then they'd tell you why it shouldn't be the, your number one film. Do you know what? Do you, do you, do you know one thing? That, you know when I, you know when I started dating this past year, it was the one thing that used to drive me bloody mad. On every first date I went on, was uh, like the, within the first five minutes, the question that would be asked like, "So uh, you're a film critic? What's 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 the best film you've ever seen?" Oh. To which my to which my answer was always. I don't know. Citizen Kane doesn't mean it's my favourite. There's a difference between, like, the best film I've ever seen and my favourite film. They're two very, very different answers. Like, the best film I've ever seen, The Shawshank Redemption, my favourite, Terminator 2. Not the best film I've ever seen, but it's my favourite. You know? Yeah. Weird thing, but yeah. Go yeah, this territory. is. Yeah, but this is, this say, smoking causes coughing. Absolute banger. Oh, my God. This is the counter-programming. If you're going to the multiplex this weekend, Mission Impossible is sold out and you don't want to see a Pixar movie. If they are showing smoking causes coughing, go see this. You're going to laugh your ass off and you will thank me. You will absolutely thank me. It's deranged. You'll never forget having seen it. And you know what? You'll never look at anybody smoking a cigarette the same way again, ever. <laughs> well there you go if you do want to go and see it it's in cinemas from today just look out for smoking causes coughing uh now um we are here next week we are going to be back the week after friday the 21st of july oh, yeah. uh, and uh we know already uh, some of the movies that we're going to be talking about because fam you you know which ones you're going to be watching in the next couple of weeks so uh mm -hmm. the secret kingdom we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks yeah this is a a, a new fantasy movie that's, that's being put out it's like a team-based uh, uh fantasy action movie uh we've also got my name is alfred hitchcock which is a documentary about uh, i don't know some guy named alf uh, i don't know but uh <laughs> <laughs> playing card again obviously but the biggie, and I think we've all been waiting for this for a long time. Um, most people know about this already, but yeah. Friday the 21st of July, and this has been on the books for years, is that it's Barbenheimer Day, baby. It's the day we're finally getting to talk about Greta Gerwig's Barbie and Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Of course, everyone has a preferred order that they want to watch them in. I'm going to do Oppenheimer first and then Barbie, if possible, but... I think they'll screen them the other way around, if I'm being honest. But yeah, it's Barbenheimer Day on the 21st. I can't wait. Oh, oh this is going to be like when they opened Mamma Mia opposite The Dark Knight in 2008. It's just going to be... Mm, ah, oh, chef's kiss. That's how you structure a film release. I want to see the Barbie movie, 100%, because I'm a big Jane, Dua Lipa yeah. fan, mainly. That's the reason why I love Dua Lipa, and I know for, she's in for it. For the music, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's got, yeah, great music. Like, great I, music. I'm, I'm into Shakira for the music. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's totally what it is. Well, yeah, I, I follow Michelle Branch for the music on Instagram. Probably. That's what it is. Yeah. She has got great tunes, to be fair. She, she has, actually. Know. Michelle Branch is, is an all-time. Yeah. yeah, I would agree if, with that. If, if my soul could sing songs, you know. But, yeah. Well, uh, that is all we've got time for this week. As I said, we'll return in two weeks. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return with Barbenheimer. Yay!